Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. This episode is taken from our series exploring the book of Jonah, as we discover together a story that is all about the goodness of God, a story that leads us to Jesus, and a story that invites us to be transformed by the wonder of who he is. Thanks for joining us. is Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 through to Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Uh, Really good to be with you. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Adrian, and hopefully I'll get to know you Uh, by the end of this morning. If not me, hopefully someone else will introduce themselves who's part of the Oasis family as we want everyone to feel very welcome and everyone to know that they can be part of this. A particular welcome if you're joining us online. I think one of the things we've learned through this uh, pandemic that we're still living through is that it's allowed us to open up the doors, not only in terms of gathering in the room, but also gathering online. Just recognizing for some, there are differing points of the journey. For some, they're still shielding, and if we need to remain at home, there's others where it feels like a little bit of a too big a step to come in the room yet. 
uh, and therefore to be online allows them to look in and say, okay, what is going on here? And you're just so, so welcome. In actual fact, Debs, who read the scripture to us today, is joining us online. So a huge thank you, Debs, for um, reading the scripture so amazingly well to us. There's a quick applause in the room to Debs. Um, The amazing thing is that she will hear that, which is good, isn't it? And I know that on the chat, if you were to jump on at this point in time of the online chat, they'll all be saying, well done, Debs, great to hear you. Because uh, there's a sense of, even though we may not be able to see each other, we're still able to stay connected and stay as a community, as a family. And I hope if you're new around that you'll find potentially this is a place you too could belong, a place you too could discover home, uh, that this could be a home for you. Uh, but we are going to get into the story of Jonah, and we're looking at this story of Jonah with kind of two kind of reasons, really. One is that it causes us to understand something more of the wonder of who God is and who we are as a result of that. But two is, is it's causing us to dig into the wonder of the Bible. The Bible isn't a chore of something to read, but rather is there that's given in order that we read it to find life and joy. And therefore, we've said as a family, as a community, that we're going to give ourselves over this season of reading the book of Jonah to daily practicing reading of Scripture. And recognizing for different ones of us, we're being in different places on that. For some of us, we'd be like, yeah, tell me something I don't do already. For others of us, we'd be thinking, it just feels a tall order to open my Bible at any point in the week. And we're all saying, no, let's give ourselves to this daily because it enables us through that practice of living, uh, reading scripture to live centered on God. And what we've done, if you've not already seen it, is created something to help us do that, which basically looks to give you a what, when, and how to read the Bible. And what we've said is like, dig in uh, to the story of Jonah. If, if nothing else, just use the time to be digging into the story of Jonah. As we're finding week on, week out, there is so much to discover through this story. Uh, even last week, where we looked at the story, the stormy story of Jonah caught up in a storm with some sailors, I had a number of people come up afterwards saying, hey, did you see the breadcrumbs? Did you see the breadcrumbs that was leading us to a different storm, a storm where Jesus was in a boat? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's there, isn't it? Isn't it exciting? We didn't get time to talk about that. Now, maybe for some of us, you too had seen that. And I hope that you're following the breadcrumbs of how this story of Jonah points us to so many other stories that point to the wonder of this God who is full of unfailing love towards you and towards me, who is rich in mercy and kindness. We just three throughout scripture, but I do want us to zoom in on this story. This story that at one sense seems to be about a big fish, but I want us to see it at a deeper level. What we're going to see is this is a story of depth. A story of depth that we could look at in so many different angles. You see, it's a story that's crafted in terms of this part of the story of Jonah incredibly intricately. I don't know if you saw it, that it kind of is bookended by God's instruction. So we find at the very beginning, there's God speaking to a big fish, and at the very end, God speaking to a big fish. And then you kind of go in a layer, and you find that there is then a prayer to God by Jonah at the next stage. There's like this prayer to God, and then it ends, just before God speaks to the fish, of a prayer again towards God and what God does. And then in between, you get this prayer of Jonah, but it's more like a psalm. I don't know if you saw that, or a poem. 
in terms of the words. It's kind of retrospective. It's as though Jonah is looking back on something. It also seems to be using poetic language. There's words in there that, that are not like how we would describe things. You know, I, I think if I was in the sea, I wouldn't come to you and say, I was in the sea. And there I began to fall below the waves crashing over my head, the seaweed wrapping around my head. I just say, I was in the sea and I was panicking. And yet there's a poem here because it's trying to point us to something, to get hold of some things. And so as we look in at this story, I want us to discover a few things. There's so much we could discover once again, but I want us to look at three particular things. Firstly, I want us to discover the creator God. As I said, throughout the story of Jonah, we keep getting these revelations of who God is. I want us to look at the creator God. Secondly, I want to look at a prayer from the depths. And it truly is, as we're going to see, from the depths. And then finally, I want to look at a story that is all about death to life. So let's kick off then. Creator God. In verse 17, it says this. Now, the Lord... or Yeah, 17 of what chapter 1. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. The narrator is wanting us to understand that God is in control of Jonah's story. But not only that, that God is in control of creation. See, in the ancient world that this story would have originally been read in, that there have been other people groups, other faith groups who would have seen that actually the big unexplainable sea creatures were deities. And what it was looking at is saying, actually, these things that can be seen as deities, gods, if you like, actually, there's one who created all of this. This isn't a deity, it's, it's a created being. It's, there's one who is God, who created all and has authority over all. And so in one sense, there's this invitation to understand that we're coming before one who is the creator God. The God who has authority over the whole of creation. Different to other faiths that were around at that point. But also, if you zoom out of the story at this point in terms of the story of Jonah, you discover that there's this God of creation who continuously is showing his authority over creation. So you find in chapter 1 that this God who speaks to the fish at the end is the same God who speaks to a storm. You then find in chapter 4 that this God who's spoken to the storm, spoken to a fish, then speaks to a plant in order that it grows, speaks to a worm, we're going to discover, and speaks to the eastern wind. From this, it's not going to be mystical. It's going to be, oh, remember, this is the God of creation, the God who has authority over creation. This is the God that we read of in Genesis 1 that speaks of before anything was, there was God. And God spoke things into being. Spoke sea and land into being. Spoke the sky into being. And then filled the sea and the land and the sky with living creatures. Even those ones that are in the depths that feel scary. This is the God we're speaking of. The God who is the creator God. Who created and has authority over his creation. But I wonder whether just in this moment, on this day, it's important for us to remember that God is the God of creation. That God is the God who has authority over creation, but also 
caused us as humans to be made in his image in order that we would then be his images on this earth to care for this planet, to care for this earth in all that it's about in order that it would be safe, that it would be good, that it would thrive, that it would be fruitful. I wonder if on this day, the day where the COP26 summit starts, a summit that is all about climate change, that it's important for us to remember that this isn't disconnected from our faith, but actually we are deeply connected because actually we believe in a God who is the God of creation, who's called us to be his bearers of his image in this creation and how we treat it matters. And therefore, as a quick aside, like I'd encourage us, like over this coming week, let's be praying for these world leaders as they seek to find wisdom to say, how do we change how we're living? Because the reality is, there's a cost being paid for the way that we're dealing with the earth that other people groups are dealing with. A cost that we don't have to deal with that bad. Sometimes you say, oh well, sometimes we have hot summers and we seem to have very wet moments like today. I, I felt like this morning as I was driving in, I think, man, this is a day like Jonah, isn't it? I felt like the waters were coming over me. I felt like the, the planet is crying out. And then suddenly the sun breaks in through the window. And you're like, oh well. But I wonder whether we're meant to take note. Like, this isn't a political statement. This is a call for us to be, as followers of Jesus who were created to be, this new humanity who bear the image of God, which means that how we treat the earth matters. So let's be praying for these leaders of different countries. Let's all be examining ourselves and saying, like, what do I need to do to image you more, God? Because you are the creator, God. But let's continue on the story. See, the story is also about a prayer from the depths. In verse 2 of chapter 2, it says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. As I said, the narrative changes at this point. It changes from just simply storytelling to a poem, a poem that is all about Jonah and a prayer that he prays to God about God and about his situation. And we've got time to look at it, but even how this kind of poem, this psalm is crafted is incredibly intricate. Because what you find is that there's this descending of Jonah through to chapter, uh, verse 6, where he kind of hits rock bottom. And then from verse 6, you then find this ascending back out. So it's like he goes down, and then he comes back out within the prayer. And in it, there's a reason for that, is that the narrator is wanting us to get hold of the fact that Jonah has been on a journey downwards as he's seeking to flee from God. And whenever you flee from what God has designed and God's best, it always leads to destruction and ultimately death. And so what you find in chapter one is that Jonah initially goes down to Joppa. We looked at that last week, didn't we? And then from Joppa, he goes down to the ship. And from the ship, he goes down into the belly of the ship. And then from the belly of the ship, he's then thrown down into the sea. And then in this poem, what you find is that downward trajectory continues. So we find that he then goes down, and he goes down being covered by the sea, buried by the sea, until we hit that rock-bottom moment 
of verse six where it says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth. Those gates locked shut forever. Get over yourself, Joan. You just were sinking. No, no. They're trying to convey something here to us. The trajectory down had got Jonah to a point where he could not escape. When he talks about being imprisoned in the earth, the gates locked shut, it's like talking to Charles. It's talking about the place of death where there is no escape. There's nothing he can do about his future. Jonah's journey downwards had finally got to rock bottom. And it's in that rock bottom that rather than God being distant, God is very present. It's as Jonah hits rock bottom that we find that it's there that he prays his prayer. He cries out to God. And I love how Rosemary Nixon kind of summarizes the wonder of this moment. At the very darkest moment, the moment where death feels very present, and Jonah calls out. And we're going to look at death in a moment. So don't worry, it's going to get heavier. Um, but Rosemary Nixon says this, salvation is not in the first instance the Lord God taking us out of our mess, but God meeting us within it. Jonah will find salvation within his watery grave, for there, in the place which eloquently speaks of death, God will meet him. And that's dark, but full of hope. At the point at which we feel like we've gone to our end, at the point at which Jonah feels like all that is surrounding him is death, it's the moment that he realized that God is more present than he ever dared believe. Because the wonder is, in that moment as he speaks out and asks God for rescue, God is one who quickly responds. Because remember, this is the God of unfailing love. The God who is full of mercy and kindness. And therefore, even in the shadow of death, even in that place, it's not beyond the reaches of God, this God of unfailing love and mercy and kindness who reaches in to rescue Jonah. And for us, that brings us deep comfort. See, for me, it means that when I get to the end of my resources, when I feel like I've got nothing left, I get to remember, oh, but God's, it's in this place that you love me to be because it causes me to become more reliant on you. Saying, God, come and help me because I can't do this. The reality is I was never meant to get to the end of my resources. That God's been waiting for me to say, hey, come on, I've got you. As was already spoken of this morning, I've got the daily bread that you need today. Don't wait till you're starving to get it. Like, come first off. No, I'm the God who meets you where you are to give you everything you need. But it's not also when I get to the end of my resources, it's also remembering that God's the one who comes to meet me when I choose to live ways that are outside of his best. 
where I choose to pursue things that actually are harming me and ultimately cause me destruction or others' destruction and ultimately cause me to get to that place of death. Like in that place where we find that we are in the mess of our own making, God meets us. God is present, waiting for us just to turn and say, help, help, look at the mess I'm in. Why? Because he's a God of unfailing love, full of kindness and mercy to you and to me. You know, today if you're here and you feel like your life is in a mess, here's good news. God is longing and waiting to meet with you in it. You don't have to try and brush yourself up. You don't have to try and clean yourself down to think, you know, now I'm acceptable. No, no, no. God wants to meet you where you are. I wonder if, so for some of us, for some of us, we find ourselves in that place of depth, that place of darkness, but it's a darkness and a depth not of our own making. Maybe it's just through the state of our mind, the state of our circumstances, it causes us to just see darkness all around. Death feels very present. And for you, I I don't want to patronize you in terms of where you're at because I don't fully understand where you're at. But what I do know is that God does. And God wants you to know that he longs and is sitting with you in it. That he is not distant. He's there in the depths. And that doesn't mean sometimes that we're taken immediately out of the depths. It means that we get to know that God is with us there. And in those darkest moments that suddenly chinks of light come through, that we're not alone. We have a God who understands, a God who can meet us in the depths. So it's a prayer of death, finally then, but it's a story of death to life. Verse 9, Jonas perks up, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. See, Jesus, Jonah, sorry, recognizes that his rescue, his deliverance is down to God and God alone. He could do nothing about it. And in this, we can then say, well, is it really a story of death to life? Because he doesn't seem to die, does he? He's kind of wailing around, like talking metaphorically about dying in the waters, but we know that he's in a big fish. And then he's at the end, kind of spat out on the land, he's back to life, back to the living. But did he really die? Well, I think this is a story about death to life. I think that's what we're meant to be getting hold of because all the imagery that's being spoken of in this po- poem is imagery of death, being buried, being covered. The references to Shaul, to the place of being imprisoned in the very foundations of the earth was an ancient way of saying the place of death. The beginning part where it says Jonah was in this big fish for three days, three nights was a way of describing a journey a journey that was always kind of about and around death. Like for the original hearers, it was like, oh, oh this, is, this is someone who's like lingering around death. That you're then going to see, oh, then when he's spat out on the land, he's, he's now alive. But there's an even more wonderful thing that the original hearers would have heard. You see, Tim Mackey points this out. He says, the Hebrew word for fish I'm quoting other people because I'm not this intelligent. Don't be impressed by me. This is other people's intelligence. So Tim Mackey, he says, the Hebrew word for fish 
in the first two occasions where the fish is spoken of, is masculine. The final part and the declaration of the fish, when Jonah is spat out, is feminine. It's as though the fish changes sex within this story. Like, why? Well, maybe it's because the belly becomes a womb. That's what we're going to see. It becomes a womb by the end so that Jonah is reborn. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? Timaki then continues to say, we get to see then that Jonah is an Israelite who comes back to life on the third day to bring repentance and belief to the nations. What? I thought we were talking about a bloke in a fish who goes in a bit of a scruff to go and talk to some people. Remember, this is all pointing to Jesus. Let's read that again. Through Jonah, we see an Israelite who comes back to life on the third day to bring repentance and belief to nations. And some people ask me and say, like, do you think this is a real story? At that point, I have to just say, man, I believe in a resurrected Jesus. Like, anything's for the go. <laughs> like, if you want to take me down on anything, like, let's start there. Let's just start, I believe in a savior, a rescuer, who died on a cross and then rose from the dead on the third day. Like, that's the basis of my faith. Everything hinges on that. And if for you, if you're coming in thinking, who is this God who is revealed in Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, it comes down to that claim. Did he die and did he rise again? Because if he did rise again, it changes everything. So guy getting eat, like swallowed by a big fish for a few days, that, 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 that for me is like, well, that's kind of easy to believe. Can I believe that bit? But you see, this Israelite comes back to life on the third day to cause repentance and belief in the nations, does point us to the greater Jonah, Jesus. See, one greater than Jonah. Jesus himself refers to this in Matthew 12, 40, where he says this, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. There's so much we could look at in this story. If you want to go and linger in that this coming week, please do. But what I want to look at is just that moment. Jesus points to Jonah being in that big fish and saying, this is a story of death that led to life. And he says, oh, now you're about to see a greater sign. A greater sign where Jesus would die and be buried in the ground for three days. And on the third day, raised to life in order that all could know life through him. That's the wonder of the story that has taken hold of many of our lives. Maybe it's the wonder of the story that could take hold of your life, that we get to know rescue, we get to know deliverance through Jesus who dies a death that we should have died in order that we, through him, can die to our self-centeredness and come alive to who he is in him to have lives centered on the wonder of who he is and allow his unfailing love and kindness and mercy to saturate our lives and know that our lives would be characterized by that. But we're just talking about a guy and a fish. No, no, this is so much bigger, so much more splendid, so much more wonderful than that because it points to the risen Jesus. 
See, some of you are wondering, how do we get to communion, though? From Jonah and a big fish getting spat out. Well, because we suddenly realize that his story is our story. We suddenly realize that the symbols that we have around our faith are there for a reason because they point to the wonder of what Jesus did. So we have the symbol of baptism. Baptism in what? Oh, it's in water. Why? Man, read the story. Do you see what happened in the story, what water represents? It's death. So what happens? It's like a burial. You go into the waters of baptism and you are buried. Buried, old life, dead. Why? Because then you're placed in Jesus. As he was buried, you're buried in him. So that you would then raise out of the water, symbolizing what? That we are now resurrected with him. We get to know the fullness of the life that he has offered. A life, a life eternal. Baptism isn't just like a tick box exercise. No, it's a wonderful moment of declaration of the wonder of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Therefore, if you're a follower of Jesus, he said, I've made a way of saying I want my life to be centered on on who you are, Jesus. Like, the sign of baptism is for you. Like, next year we're going to be doing some baptisms. I can't remember the date, but we put a date in the diary and we're saying, like, we're going to be baptizing some people. Why? Because I know there's people in here and online who need to get baptized. Why? Because it's a way of saying, this is what Jesus has done for me. Come and see, there's a mystery in it. Like if you want to talk further, if you've not been baptized, please grab me at the end because I want to talk to you about this. But also we're giving the sign of communion. Baptism is a once-off moment. We get to look back on of what happened. Communion is an ongoing moment where we get to do what? We get to celebrate Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection through the eating of the bread and through the drinking of the cup. And as we eat, as we drink, we remember the wonder of what Jesus has done. We remember and receive afresh of what Jesus has done, and we look forward to what Jesus will do as he will return and put everything right. Which is why we're going to end this morning by participating in communion together. take the bread and the juice. But I just want to read again what Jonah says in verse 9. He says, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. My salvation comes from the Lord alone. That word salvation is the same root word that the name of Jesus comes from. And in that moment, Jonah, without knowing what he was saying, was pointing to us to say, yes, Jesus is only the way to no salvation. And that's what we declare as we take bread and juice, as we're saying, our rescue, our deliverance is from you and you alone, Jesus. Paul writes this in respect to communion. He says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was portrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Let's eat. His body broken so we can be made whole.
same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. As we take the cup, we're remembering now, there's nothing that can separate us from the unfailing love of God. His mercy and kindness is always towards us. We come all with the same need and we all receive the same Jesus. Let's drink and remember he's enough for today and he's enough for tomorrow and he will return. Where you are. Can I just ask us just to stand for a moment? Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to stand because I then don't appear on camera. Oh, I can, thank you. Um, can we just close our eyes? I just want to pray for us. Jesus, we just recognize that when we turn the news on, we realize that we live in a hurting and broken world a world that in reality needs rescuing. And we just recognize that we can't do it. We haven't got enough. But Jesus, moments like this, moments of taking the bread and the juice remind us that you are enough. That your death and resurrection have proclaimed that you have come to rescue all. And Jesus, I thank you therefore that you call us then to be simply those who become signposts, sharers of your rescue. And I pray, God, that as we've eaten and drunk again of the wonder of who you are, I pray would you cause us to be those then that go, causing others to taste and see the wonder of your rescue. I pray that wouldn't be something that feels heavy, but rather something we realize brings hope and life to this world. We ask that for your glory, Jesus. Oh man.